Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. And of course, that's where the band name Earth, Wind and Fire got their name, just so anybody... That's the most important thing about that. Um, good, where are we? Yes. Well, last week, uh, in our Advent, we had Advent Sunday last week, and last week we looked at the idea of hope and how if uh, we see the meaning of hope, this is what I was talking about last week, the meaning of hope as trust in the love that's at the centre of us. We think of hope as being in the future, but I thought last week about the hope is really trust in that love that's at the centre of us. Then we've got something we can always rely on. There is hope there, you know, always. And, you know, today we're talking about light, uh, Advent light. You always have the traditional candles, next week's truth, and, you know, you go around and do that. But, you know, it's interesting about light, I think, because traditionally... We always think of light as being good and dark as being bad. You know, that God is light, but God is not in the dark. And, you know, great, Jesus coming, he's the light coming into the world. You know, but in reality, and I put that yin and yang symbol on your service sheet, uh, God is both in the light and the darkness. There's a lovely poem called The Night by Henry Vaughan. And the last, goes, the last verse goes, There is in God, some say, a deep but dazzling darkness, as men here say it is light and late and dusky, because they see not all clear. And then he says, Oh, for that night, were I in him, might I live invisibly and dim. The idea of God very much being in the darkness. In that hymn that we sang, oh, oh help us, oh Lord we would render, oh help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. In other words, you know, he is in that darkness and the light actually hides him. And you know, you can go right back to Genesis, you know, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In that sense, you know, God was still very much in the darkness in our tradition. And God then said, let there be light and there was light. So God was both in the light and the dark. And I think it's incredibly important uh, to see that because traditionally I say we see as God as light, but there are also the idea of God as being in the darkness. So if that's the case, you know, what can we know about a God that exists in the light and in the darkness? In our, obviously, God exists in our sadness and in our joy, in our pain and in our pleasure. And, you know, we do know that because in those dark times, wisdom comes to us. We learn. We know that it's not just the stroke of light that comes in and makes things happen. So, you know, as we go into Advent, this idea of light and dark and, you know, supposedly God coming into the world, and we go towards Christmas, and which is really in the traditional Christian way, it is the appearance of God in our midst, both light and dark. And, you know, we're led to the idea, which is a central idea in Christmas, the idea of incarnation. You hear it all the time at Christmas and things like that. 
which it's really what Christmas is supposed to be about. And literally, you know, incarnation, the word comes from the Latin word incarne, which means enfleshment. And it is the idea that there is a divine word and it was enfleshed in Jesus. The spirit was made flesh and came amongst us. That's the sort of traditional idea about it. That's what we supposedly look forward to at Christmas. And, you know, for me, it's, it's not actually something new. Um, you know, that, that Jesus coming into the world and, you know, incarnate, enfleshing the spirit wasn't something new. But I, you know, my perspective is that Jesus came so that there could be a realization of what was already existing. It already existed. It demonstrates the, the two natures. You know, if you look at pictures of Jesus, you know, you always see him like Churchill with his fingers up like this. But what he's actually saying is he's saying when it, the depiction is of the two natures, that Jesus was human and divine. That's what is always being said. And Jesus is saying that, that we have two natures. You know, we are all both human and divine. So for me, Christmas is celebrating that realization, just as we celebrate that Galileo discovered the earth actually moved around the sun. You know, it had always been thus. However, we had not realized it. You know, Jesus brought, in my perspective, that realization to our consciousness. And I do mention this later on, but I just, just want to say that I always deliver this material with the willingness to be wrong. So I can't be totally wrong about all this, but you can talk to you about it afterwards. But actually, in my perspective, Jesus brought that realization to our consciousness. And yet, we, when we look at, at where the divine nature begins and the human nature ends, you know, when we try and look at that, you know, we get into problems. You know, we, are we the darkness? Is God the light? You know, where, where does it begin? Where does it end? It, you know, like trying to identify God as either being light or dark, or human or divine, you know, we come up with a level of specificity that I think is too lofty for us. You know, there's that lovely um, 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 thing that uh, Richard Raw always talks about. He said, when Jesus died, have you heard that the fact that the veil of the temple was rent in twain? Have you, you heard that story? The veil of the temple was rent in twain. Now, you know, the veil of the temple re represented the separation between that which was sacred, which was in the temple, and that which was profane, which is what was outside the temple. So in the old days, you had the idea of something was sacred and something was profane. And actually, the word profane comes from the Latin word profanum, which means outside the temple. Profanum means outside the temple. So the, the idea of the veil of the temple being rent in twain means that nothing is profane, that everything is sacred, and there's that sacredness in everyone. And that, that's, you know, that's the meaning of it. And, you know, that, that's a very powerful symbol of that happening. I always think, I love that story of Elijah, you know, and uh, meeting God. It's so interesting. You know, not only did earth, wind, and fire get their name from it, but, you know, there's, there's a bit more in there as well. He, he, he told, Elijah's told to go to the mouth of the temple and God will pass by. 
Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before God, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came the fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Then Elijah heard it. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God was not in the manifestations, not in the wind, not in the darkness, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in the still small voice that actually was within him. And in trying to place a finger on where God is, you know, we have to start to look at, you know, where does that appear? How do we, you know, how do we put our finger on where God is? And if you look at those, you know, Hindu scriptures, they always say, you know, neti, neti. And, and, and the scan Sanskrit for that means not this, not that. Neither this, nor that. And you, you read a lot in the Hindu scriptures, also the Buddhist scripture, of, of what it is not. And the Elijah story is the same thing. It's not in the earth. It's not in the wind. It's not in the fire. There's a great uh, uh, little bit from William Johnson's book called uh, Arise, My Love. And he says, and he says what St. John of the Cross does, says the same thing. He says, nada, nada, Christ St. John of the Cross, telling us that nada will then lead us to what to do. Again and again, he returns to the gospel test. Unless you give up everything you possess, you cannot be my disciple. And just as the self-emptying brought Jesus to re resurrection, the kenosis, Therefore, God, highly exalt him to the name above every name. So the self-emptying of the Christian mystic is the highest form of the Greek Sophia, the wisdom. It is the self-emptying. It's a, it is not this. It is not that. We don't know. There's something that, that we're wanting to, to understand. Um, it corresponds with the Western idea of the via, via negativa, a mystical approach that forms a part of a tradition of the apophatic theology, which means denial. Apathasis means denial. And we find where God is by letting go of looking for where God is. In the Tao Te Ching, it says that the Tao that, cannot be told, that, the Tao that can be told is not the eternal Tao. The name that, that can be named is not the eternal name. It's not this. It's not that. So even our attempt to look at light and darkness, at human nature and divine nature, in a sense, we lead ourselves astray in fully understanding the divine. But we, we do want to, you know, we're all, we're all here. I mean, we want to understand the divine. And I think that, that wanting to understand is the key. And what I'm trying to do here is just put up, where do you put your finger on this? And it's, it's interesting that the divine is not understandable. That's a good place to get to. The divine is not understandable. That's the truth. To understand, literally, to stand in the midst of. That's what understand means. It doesn't mean beneath. You know, it means between or among. So it's from the Latin word inter, which means within. It means literally to stand in the midst of. So to understand 
is to stand in the midst of. To be able to understand God, we have to be able to stand in the midst of God. And as it says in Psalm 139, you have enclosed me behind and before, and you laid your hand upon me. And then such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go for your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? And especially at Christmas, we're always looking, looking, looking. We're looking for the spirit. We're looking for the magic. Can I go to the Christmas? I'm going to look for the magic at the Christmas services. We're looking for relief from suffering. We're looking in darkness. We're looking in light. And often we're just not willing to accept that this knowledge is too lofty for us. And it's a difficult one because we do always want to know. We always want to be sure. Many aspects of religions are built on the concept of surety, of being right, of knowing that you are saved and that you will not be you know, going to hell or whatever it is. Few offer not knowing. Well, actually, they do, but those parts are not obviously pushed. You know, that idea that we, we talk here with the willingness to be wrong. There is the cloud of unknowing in Christianity, and that idea is actually in other religions too, but it's not popular because we want to know. So if we cannot know, if we are unable to stand in the midst of the divine, you know, as we search for this at Christmas, what, what can we know? How can we be? And that's the point that we have to, I think, withdraw into ourselves. We have to netty, netty, not this, not that, not to look out and try and name. The tower that can be named is not the eternal tower. Because if we did, we'd be aligning ourselves with something that is not the divine. Our journey has to be within to cultivate a space where the fullness, and this is to be born, you know, the spirit to be born in us, to cultivate a space where the spirit can be born in us because we give it room to be born. That's the legend of Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the six months, God sent the angel Gabriel to a virgin. You'll conceive and give birth. You will call him Jesus. How will this be? Because I'm still a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And Mary answers, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. The legend is that, that through her humility, she created the space within her that enabled the spirit to enter her. And as a result, the child of God was born. And, you know, to know that divine, we have to create that spirit within us. We have to create that, 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 that humility within us. A space that is unadulterated by world news. And it's so difficult. Unadulterated by world news. A space unadulterated by family crisis. The demands and the pressures that are on us. Our worries, our hopes and our fears. We have to create a space that's beyond that. It has to be a pure space, not this, not that, in which we can live. And Mary has that wonderful statement later on, the Magnificat, that she explains what happens to you when you create that space. 
She created that space, and then the Spirit came in, and then she says, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. You go home, they say not Christian enough here, say Nicholas preached on the Magnificat, which is not bad. From now, all generations will call me blessed. This is the experience that you have. For the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to all who fear him from generation to generation. He has helped his servants, remembering to be merciful. It is the promise to enter into that is available to all of us. That is the promise of Christmas. And in creation of that space within us, and in creation of that space, we really make ourselves ready for Christmas. We're preparing for Christmas. We are in Advent Adveneer, we're coming to the arrival. That's what Advent means, Adveneer. And what, what we do to prepare that is we prepare the humility within ourselves. That space, if we create it, contains both our light and our darkness. It contains our divine nature and our humanity. So how do we create that space? The one Mary created for the Christ to come, the one Elijah created to enable the still small voice to appear. Well, we, we do have to go in. We have to be prepared to stop. We have to be prepared to use our practice to allow the earthquake, wind and fire to whirl around us and to still go within, to use our meditation practice or centering prayer or quiet time to say those words, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. To have that place of humility. As Meister Eckhart would say, he says that the place of meditation when you go in is wanting for nothing, willing nothing, and knowing nothing. That is the nature of that space. It is a space where you want for nothing, where you're willing nothing, and where you're knowing nothing. It is complete openness to being affected by that which we acknowledge that we don't understand. We do not stand in the midst of because that knowledge is too lofty for us. You know, it's interesting that instead of that space, we can manifest it from within and that can become our home, our dwelling place, our house, our abode. And with that as our home, we, we can withstand anything. And right now, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, we do need to create a space that can withstand anything. And that's what this is asking us to do. Our house, our abode. With that as our home, we can withstand anything. And yet most of us rushing around, we're trying to stop the earthquake. We want to you know, get out of the wind. We want to put out the fire. And we all end up chasing our tails because in reality... It's not this and not that. We're chasing, we're not chasing the essence of life. We're chasing the phantoms that whirl around us. To truly connect, to hear the still small voice, which, let's face it, is really what we want to hear, we have to go within to create and abide in a home that is made of the essence of life, the womb of creativity that will give birth to the divine that's within us. And his name shall be great, and he shall be called the child of the Most High. You can hear it in that really famous reading. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This, this, this is the home within. 
For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It is that space within that we create that allows the Spirit to come in. That is the promise that is given to us in all troubled times. And it is, it, is, it is incumbent upon us to create that child within us by creating that space, that home within us. I'm just going to end with that wonderful quote from Meister Eckhart. He says, What good is it to me if the Son of God is born to Mary 1,400 years ago? He was 14th century, we'd say 2,000 years ago. What good is it to me if the Son of God is born to Mary 2,000 years ago but is not born in my person, in my culture, and in my time. You'll be relieved here, I've finished. So we're going to have some music. What, what are you going to play for us, Kathy, or sing to us? I'm going to be singing Breath of Heaven, also known as Mary's Song. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.